Support for Innovation Hub comes from Bunker Hill Community College, with internship opportunities at Boston's top corporations through BHCC's Learn and Earn program. More information at bhcc.edu le. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. Several years ago, the legal scholar Cass Sunstein watched an experiment in Colorado. In the experiment, people sat down, and by themselves, without consulting with anyone, they wrote down their opinions on climate change, on same-sex unions, and on affirmative action. Then they consulted with each other, and they weighed in on what they thought. And I should mention that this experiment was done in Boulder, which happens to lean kind of left. Still, there was some diversity of thought when participants wrote down their ideas. But after they consulted with each other, the liberal views had triumphed. The group had almost coalesced into a single left-leaning unit. The experiment was also done in Colorado Springs, which is more right-leaning, and the same thing happened, except the ideological unit at the end was right-leaning. Cass Sunstein has written about the power of other people to affect us in ways that we don't often understand. It often happens now through social media. He's the author of Hashtag Republic, Divided Democracy in the Age of Social Media. He's a professor at Harvard Law School. Cass, welcome. Thanks for being here. Uh, Thank you. A pleasure to be here. So, um, I mean, I think we all know that groups can make you feel like you should wear a certain thing more than more than something else or that you should buy a certain gadget that other people have. But in some ways, thinking that a group can make you shift your core beliefs, that's a little concerning. It is, uh, especially if the group is shifting you in a direction that isn't good and if the group is preempting your own capacity to reflect for yourself. There are some beliefs, for example, that dropped objects fall and that human beings can't fly, that it would be very hard to shake those beliefs. Uh, But with respect to politics, there are a lot of things we think that are just uh, an artifact of the people with whom we find ourselves surrounded. Do we go along with other people in these kinds of experiments? I talked about this one in Colorado because we're scared of what will happen if we don't. Is there like a cost for not going along with what the larger group thinks? There are actually two major reasons, uh, one of which is that if we find ourselves in a group of, let's say, people we kind of like and we want them to like us, we might shift in their direction or in the direction of the dominant view for the reason you give. In the kind of mild cases, we don't want them to look askance at us or to think we're uh, stupid or obtuse. In the extreme case, we might not want to be ostracized or lose our relationship with people we care about. But I think the more dominant and uh, intriguing explanation explanation isn't so much about currying favor with the group. It's about the information given by what other people think. So if you think about it, most of the things we think, you know, that George Washington was the first president, that uh, Albert Einstein existed, that the earth goes around the sun, those things we don't have personal knowledge of. We are deferring to the informational signals, really, given by what other people think. So if you're a group of people who on a political issue or even a scientific issue tend to think something, if we don't have private information indicating that they're wrong, it's kind of reasonable to think, oh, well, if they all think it, it's probably true. So you've argued that there's a fundamental change going on right now in terms of group dynamics and information dissemination. And I just wonder what is different now? I mean, the kinds of studies that we've talked about in which people conformed and people took their lead from other people, those have been going on for a long time. Uh, What is different right now in your view? 
Uh, what's going on now is uh, a technological capacity to uh, form an informational cocoon or an echo chamber, which has more ease and speed than at any time in human history. So I wouldn't say human beings have changed. I wouldn't even want to make strong claims about how the echo chamber effect is different now from what it was in uh, 1910 or 1810 or 1710 or the time of Adam and Eve. I'd say instead that by virtue of the proliferation of options and the capacity of people who think, you know, Trump is the greatest president ever, or Trump is the worst thing that's ever happened, or that the immigration problem is destroying America, or the immigration problem isn't a problem at all. It's a great thing. The capacity of people to find a niche of people who confirm and intensify their pre-existing views, that is a, a technological advance, let's say, that is um, unprecedented in human history. And that link between some features of the human mind and what we've been discussing and the capacity that social media offers, that is novel. So I wonder about that technological novelty, because if you went back 100 or more years, you could find people picking up newspapers that reflected their point of view because many in many towns there were two newspapers and one was kind of the Democratic and one was kind of the Republican or the left-leaning or the right-leaning you know newspaper um, 20 years ago just over 20 years ago Fox News started and that in some ways made MSNBC into what it is and that whole dynamic started going on in television which has been really important I think is social media a totally different animal? You know, I mean, or is it related to these past technologies? The latter. So it's it's literally true that the social media have functions and fun and capacities that no technology had before. So that's literally true. It's also true that the capacity for uh, self-selection into something that is congenial is not new. And that isn't new in terms of 15 years ago, because many years before 15 years ago, as you say, you could have a community of people who thought the same thing, or you could have a media outlet that allowed you to, you know, ver go veer right or veer left. And that's not to say that the problem-solving capacity of the United States 30 years ago or 60 years ago or 90 years or 100 years, 20 years ago was perfect. It's instead to say that right now it's highly imperfect. Over 40,000 people died on the highways in uh, 2016. What are we going to do about that? American infrastructure isn't where it should be. Democrats and Republicans are clear on that. Uh, what are we going to do about that? We have a problem of persistent poverty in the United States. Uh, how are we going to diminish that problem? And those are three pretty urgent questions. We're talking about dead people and with respect to infrastructure, people's capacity to navigate uh you know, travel. And that's really important. And the existence of polarization along the dimensions we're describing, whether or not it's worse than it was 30 years ago, it is a significant contributor to the incapacity to extend people's lives. I'm Kara Miller. This is Innovation Hub, and I'm talking to Cass Sunstein, a Harvard Law professor and author of the book, Hashtag Republic, Divided Democracy in the Age of Social Media. So I wonder how uh, physical separation intersects with online separation. I mean, we've certainly seen 
self-sorting behavior in terms of where people choose to live. And then I wonder if that can become a kind of uh, destructive cycle where, you know, you don't hear uh, competing views day to day from the people around you. And then liberals watch MSNBC and conservatives watch Fox News. um, and, And you think to yourself, yeah, that's exactly what I thought. That's exactly what I've been hearing. That's a great point. And uh, there's reason to think it's true. That is, if you are physically separated into a group of people who think something, chances are you're going to have clarity that that thing is true. And that might diminish your eagerness to read falsehoods, like who wants to read that dropped objects don't fall or the Holocaust didn't happen. Then you might similarly think that the view that President Trump is fantastic or President Trump is horrible, it's like that. It's just really clear and you don't want to read the opposing view. I would say that the full data that we have does support the echo chamber hypothesis, but it also has some pleasing uh, footnotes to that, which is a lot of people really are curious, and they do, whether they live in Boston or in uh, Colorado Springs or, you know, right-wing country or left-wing country, they don't think, I just want to read what I already believe. So there's a ton of diversity out there with respect to taste for information. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about how, you know, since there are these points of crossover, How can people who are in these orbits, maybe living around people who are like them, reading things that are generally pleasing to them, watching things that are generally pleasing to them, and so on and so forth, how do you break out of that? Um, And in some ways, the Internet is a good tool here because it means you don't have to, like, move. Yeah, it's fantastic. So there are tools that have become more plentiful in the recent past where you can, you know, read outside your echo chamber. And some of them are apps that have a name kind of like read outside your echo chamber. (laughs) There are about eight of them. And they will, one of them just shows you uh, how your reading habits are skewing left or right. And if you don't want to use an app, you can just think informally, you know, this week did I read anything that uh, jarred me in a productive way, or that meaning made me change my view a bit, or jarred me in a way that made me at least have clarity on what uh, good and smart people on the other side think. So if you have a have a month where you're you haven't encountered things that are different from what you thought before, let's say, from which you learned something, you might think, well, next month I'm going to eat my vegetables and give that a try. Do you do this yourself? And if you do, what are a couple of things you've read recently that have made you think, hmm, maybe I should kind of think differently about this issue or that? Well, I worked in the Obama administration, and I tend, you know, more to agree with President Obama than President Trump. But I try to read the Wall Street Journal with regularity. And I've read material on uh, the minimum wage in particular, not necessarily within the last few weeks, but definitely within the last few years, that have made me think significant increases in the minimum wage are are, are a risky uh, idea because they can cause disemployment effects and because the target of the minimum wage isn't only poor people. It's a lot of people who are doing just fine, who have parents who are fine and they're trying to enter the workforce. And uh, it may be that you're going to freeze them out of the workforce. The earned income tax credit is a lot better than the minimum wage. And that's something that a lot of conservatives have been pressing. 
And I'm convinced not that we should repeal the minimum wage, but that large increases in the minimum wage of the sort that many Democrats support, uh, that's not a very good idea. There's been so much talk about this very issue of political polarization or in this new age where people people don't talk to each other, people don't want to talk to each other, people live in different places, people have different you know online realities. Where do you see this headed? Are people sick of that? Are they just retreating ever more into their own universes? What's happening? I think the old New York Yankee, Yogi Berra, said something like predictions are hard, especially about the future. <laughs> yep. And that, something like that is wise. So what we're seeing now is that on the part of providers of information, whether it's Facebook or the New York Times or, you know, TV and radio stations all over the country, there's very productive focus on the problem we're discussing. And that productive focus is leading toward more respectful engagement with multiple points of view. Facebook, I'm hopeful, will rethink its newsfeed, which is uh, right now a contributor. It's not the source, but it's a contributor to the echo chamber effect. I think Facebook, from its public pronouncements, is alert to this, and we'll see something different. In terms of Washington, uh, there's not a lot the government can or should do about this, but on the part of many politicians, there's uh, alertness to this. And uh, single out Senator McCain and former President Obama as two who ran against each other, but both of whom are really alert to this problem and doing what they can to counteract it. Cass Sunstein is author of the book Hashtag Republic, Divided Democracy in the Age of Social Media. He served as administrator of the White House Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs under President Obama, and he's a professor at Harvard Law School. Cass, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Great pleasure. If you want to hear about what's coming up on Innovation Hub before anyone else, there's an app for that. Actually, there isn't really an app because we don't have that much money, but there's a website for that. It's our website, innovationhub.org. There you can sign up for our newsletter, which will land in your inbox every Friday. It'll give you a full rundown of that week's show, and there will be early links to the segments right from the email. Plus, we always tell you what we're reading at that moment, and then sometimes everybody on the staff will weigh in with seasonal picks for food or books or whatever. It's pretty fun. You should subscribe. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. CambridgeSavings.com slash CSB1.